When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stories with Frisco and Bradshaw, special bonus, best of the best, where we're going to discuss the greatest, most iconic matches in sports entertainment, professional wrestling history. I would be Bradshaw. And that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And today, Mr. Briscoe, we got one of the most important matches of all time. Pat O'Connor versus Buddy Rogers, 1961, June 30th, Comiskey Park, 38,622 people. It set the stage for the WWE to begin. You know, John, you you hit it right there. This is a match that was really political in nature of it. This was really the, the, the beginning of the separation of the WWWF at the time and the NWA were Vince and uh, his group, Vince Vince being Vince Senior. And, but they, they set the stage with this match here. It was, it was a contrast of styles. It was a technician's uh, delight in uh, Pat O'Connor. And when Buddy Rogers, it was the beginning of the, not the beginning, but the beginning of the, the WWWF's uh, flamboyant entertainment era. So we have two contrasting styles of matches, but the way they blended in here is a lesson for even today's uh, young competitors to pay attention and kind of see the story and how they tell the story, how they work certain body parts. And most of all, it's what you hear a, a million times during your training. Slow the F down and you watch these guys pace and see how they build a crowd and listen to the crowd of 38,000 plus one of the, one of the biggest crowds, you know, up to, up to that time and that professional wrestling had had. So we're in for a good time. Plus you'll probably laugh your butt off of me and JBL trying to figure out this. Technology. <laughs> <laughs> this you is better believe first. it. This it's going to be an adventure. Month. So, we're you know, this, this attendance record at 38,622 that they say in the video, it was over 50,000. You know, imagine that a wrestling promoter inflating a, a population of a crowd uh, took till 1986. It was the big event in Toronto that later broke this attendance record. So it, it stood for, uh, you know, 25 years. Uh, this was the biggest match that wrestling had seen. Uh, in this century, they called it the match of the century. And what was at stake was so much more than just uh, Buddy Rogers and Pat O'Connor. It was the how wrestling was going to be going forward with Tootsmont and Vince McMahon Sr. I guess Jess McMahon uh, passed away in 1954. So before about a, almost seven years before this, Tootsmont is trying to take over uh, wrestling from the Northeast. The NWA wants the old shooter boys to be in as champions. And it's a real push and pull politically for this match. That, that's right, John. It was. And as we get going, we'll, we'll try to add some bullet points in, in, in here. But uh, during 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 the course of the match, when, when they say the dignitaries are in the audience here, there, there's quite a list of, of, of people that even brings up Jules Strongbow, the promoter in, uh, in L.A., who who at that time, uh, Los Angeles had their own champion. And, and that was really the rift uh, between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles because Los Angeles played by their own rules. And and, and uh, the northern part of California was, was hooked up with the NWA. So there's all types of political ramifications in, involved in this match. And you were talking about, uh, before we got on the call, about the title belt itself. The title belt itself, this was the first time that somebody actually held the Thez belt because Lou Thez took his title and went home, right? Yes, and then the funny thing about that, John, is this is the Thez belt, too. 
Number two, uh, the first says Bethesda had wanted to retire, and he handpicked a a shooter boy out of Oklahoma State by the name of Dick Cutton, who was a three-time NCAA champion, a four-time finalist. And uh, his fourth year, he got beat by another up-and-comer who ended up in in, in, a, in a professional wrestling business too, uh, Vern Gagne, who won his first national title. And so, uh, so the, there's a lot of back and forth. So, uh, so uh, Lou uh, had held the belt seven times, decided he wanted to retire. So he hadn't picked Dick Hutton and he put Hutton over. But in the meantime, he'd told Sam Munchnick, who everybody knows the president of the NWA, that, hey, I want to keep that title. It's mine. I've, I've carried it for seven, seven times, one to seven times. I'd like to like to keep it. And Sam being who he was, and and, and I'll get into a story on Sam's collection uh, a little bit later in, in this show. But uh, but uh, Sam gave it to him, so they awarded uh, Hutton that belt that night. But uh, when they got back to the dressing room, Lou said, "Hey, I want my belt. I'm going home." So he got a belt, as you said, and he went home. And uh, and in the meantime, for like a year and a half, they were having one made down in Mexico. And it was basically exact replica on it. It was a little bit bigger. The, the leather part of it was a little bit bigger than, than the face plates. And it didn't, didn't look right. But it took them several months to make the thing. And in the course of the thing, Hutton's experiment didn't get over. Uh, and he, he dropped the belt before he got the... Got the uh, Got the new new de- uh, new uh, new uh, world heavyweight belt, but in the meantime, he had wore around. Uh, he was a local TV champion there somewhere in uh, in in Illinois or 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 that that part of the country. So he had a TV belt that he wore around as the uh, as the um, as a heavyweight championship belt. Well, how and, does this happen though? You've got a heavyweight championship of the world. You got all these photos together, and it takes a year and a half to make a title belt. That's it, it was made down that long. I don't know. They, they, they were, they, it was supposedly made of gold and all that stuff. And I was told the price of the belt was like $500. <laughs> and Sam Muchnick was not going to get the belt, pay for the belt, and get delivered. Maybe this is why it took so long, too. I was told that the, Sam called all the member uh, 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 promoters of the NWA and made them chip in before he would actually purchase the belt. So that was probably delayed getting all these damn promoters to chip in. You know what? At that time, a hundred so bucks was probably. Can you imagine though? Can you imagine on a pay-per-view that Brock Lesnar walks out without a belt as the champion? This is insane. You have championship matches you build up to for years and territories and the the champion shows up and doesn't have a title belt. So Dick Hunt never got a belt. We'd be hearing that old saying, "You're fired," or <laughs> <laughs> someone. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, but that, that's basically how it happened. So uh, Pat was awarded the belt, and his, his, when he was awarded the second Thaz uh, belt, because like I said, number one, uh, Lou took Thaz belt number one and went away, and I think he eventually uh, sold it to uh, some uh, some guy over in Japan. But uh, the the belt number two, the Thaz his belt number two was awarded to Connor, and his first defense was against uh, Dick Hutton. <laughs> Can you imagine that, Dick? That should have been my belt, you know. And uh, <laughs> but uh, so uh, Rogers was really the first guy to win the Thez two belt that everybody loves so much. The Thez two belt. He was the first one to be awarded the 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 belt by by victory in the ring. So that's the historical significance of, of the championship belt. Yeah, we can go into it later. We will. Uh, you tagged with Buddy Rogers later, and Buddy Rogers at the time was the hottest commodity in the country. He was the hottest heel. He was the hottest draw. Buddy was the draw in the in the North America, right? Oh, there was nobody else compared to him. You know, uh, Buddy. Buddy. Uh, I mean, when he, when I was breaking it, even in in the uh, in the late sixties, uh, sixty eight, sixty nine, and that area there, you know. Buddy Rogers was the guy he wanted to be, you know, the nature boy, Buddy Rogers, the original nature boy. And, and I understand, you know, Buddy was, was, was broken by Jack Pfeffer, who is, man, what a historical 
uh, name that is Jack Pfeffer and uh, his, his involvement in the business. But uh, Buddy was down on the, on the beach in Texas. He was down there working a program in, in the Houston area and he was hanging around Galveston and, 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 uh, and uh, Padre Island. And he got so tan that somebody suggested he start calling himself because Tarzan was big at the time. TV was just coming in. Now, bear in mind now, TV was just coming in to, uh, to our business and making these guys start before it was, you know, I don't know how it was done, smoke signals or something like that, but TV was coming into to its own and, and it was, wrestling was one of the cheapest products to put out there. So a lot of TV stations were doing it. So somebody said, why, why don't you? So Buddy idolized Gorgeous George. So he, he changed his name uh, to Buddy Rogers and he bleached his hair blonde. So. Yeah, and he was kind of a he was kind of a ripoff of uh, Gorgeous George. You say a ripoff, you know, everybody gets something from somebody in, in, in wrestling uh, and, and passes it down. Uh, but Gorgeous George, they used to say talking about TVs, they called them Georgie sets because he said they said he sold more TV sets than Milton Berle. You know, because wrestling was one of the few things you could film. So after the war, uh, when you had from say from forty seven to fifty four, Buddy Rogers, to his credit says that Gorgeous George was the greatest heel of all time, the greatest draw of all time. Said he made $9 million from 47 to 54. That's what Buddy Rogers uh, said in an interview. So you had those two guys who were the biggest heels for 50 years at least in a period there of wrestling. And Rogers was kind of a watered-down version of Gorgeous George, right? Because George went too far. He went too far with the curls in his hair and the effeminate look. Promoters wouldn't book him like they would book Rogers. So Rogers took a lot from uh, Gorgeous George, but not everything because Gorgeous George had gone too far, which Rogers later said was the right way to do it. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, George wasn't a great athlete. George was was the showman. And, and George did get by on his drop kicks and head scissors, even though he, he attempted them. But, uh, you know, George, 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 George was was the flamboyant one, and, and and like you said, he sold more TV sets than Milton Berle. And uh, but uh, Buddy Buddy prided himself in a lot of athletic ability. Even when the guy was in, the, in his late fifties and early sixties, when I was fortunate enough to to work in an office with him as a, his assistant booker, and then to be tag team partner with him, he took a lot of pride. And even even when he, when he he agreed to do a tag team with me. Buddy was out on the beach running. He was working out. He, he was a prideful man. You know, all of the stuff you hear about Buddy Rogers. I mean, he was a selfish man and all that stuff. I really didn't see that side of him because I, I met him at a at later stage of his life. I just knew that everything that guy touched down here in Florida, he was buying property and he'd turn around. He was the original flipper of the guy that I knew. He'd buy a house and wouldn't even move into it and make three or $400,000 when Florida was booming the real estate market. And he had the cash to, to, to take advantage of it. But he was a very intelligent man and a great guy to be around. And, but man, did he have a lot of pride. I won't say it would borderline on, on, on obsessive ego, but he, you know, we all have that ego to a certain extent. Yeah, especially, yeah especially we're Texans. <laughs> but even though <laughs> Buddy was a New Jersey a policeman, don't, don't, don't even think for one minute, Buddy Rogers from Texas. Was oh, it? he wasn't. No, I thought he, I thought he was Texas. <laughs> hey, you think everybody's from Texas is good? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> hey, Buddy's greatest uh, quote. One of them is he had so many. He said, uh, "Keep your, keep your." He said, "Be mean to your friends. Keep your enemies close. That way, when your enemies become your friends, you can be mean to them." <laughs> <laughs> I think he said, "Screw them, whatever it was." <laughs> Buddy yeah. was the best. So you ready? You want to try this, Mr. Briscoe? Let's try, man. Let's see what we get here. And, and you got to feel free to laugh at us and feel free to send us comments on this damn thing because we're, we're just experimenting and uh, and we're going to see how this works out. And if it works out, who knows? We might we might bring these, these, these things to you monthly on, on, on historic matches. We might do it weekly. You might do it weekly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm putting you to work. I uh, know you are. I'm You're retired. Not retired. Okay. Done. All right. We're going to do this on three, two, one. Okay. 
Uh, did, did, did I hit my button now? I got to count back because you said three, two, one. You told me to hit my button on one and I hit it. So now I got to go back. So give go me back a second. Zero. I'm back to zero. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. We got them in the ring, right? Got them in the ring being talked to. That's what I used to love about these championship matches. You know, the guys came out and almost had a, a had a talk at the very beginning. Yeah, in that school, you know, we, we used to do those, those school introductions in WWE, and I, I thought they meant so much more. You remember those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love the old school entries. That, in fact, that's exactly what we called it was the old school. Yeah. Guys would both stand there. You'd have the championship. Okay, here we go, man. Now, now watch the pace of this match, kids, and watch, 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 watch them go. Now, you know, O'Connor, bear in mind, O'Connor was at it at this time probably Probably the most technical wrestler in the and in the world. He was that's the reason he was world champion. The NWA wanted him because he what he did was so smooth. And John and I have talked a bit earlier. Pat O'Connor had a great influence on 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 uh, Harley Race. And if you watch O'Connor's work and everything, and kind of just in your imagination superimpose race's body over there. You can see so much of Harley, even even that posture there. I'm seeing a little bit of Harley race. The way his head, the pipe's head bent down, the way they tie up. And when they go into the corner here, you can kind of see us some Harley race stuff. <laughs> you got to love that, a little tit for tat. That's yeah. just typical old heel baby face stuff. Yeah. That's what one, two, baby. You know, Rogers takes a shot at him, then the baby face does it back. It's just the feeling out process in a championship match is lost sometimes because guys want to get into high spots. Well, you know, and you can't fault those kids either now because they're just given a certain amount of time. I'm sure when these guys went out there, they said, you know, take take your time, do what you what you need to do. Where now, you know, you're walking out there, hey, your time just got cut 30 seconds or 45 seconds, you know, and they've got to rush through a lot of stuff. So. One time, Eddie Guerrero and I were following an Undertaker who just had an incredible match. And Eddie Eddie was out there with me. He goes, get a headlock. And I got a headlock. I go, okay. And I called a spot. I'm going to do a tackle drop down, double arm drag, go outside. Eddie going to do a tope over the top rope. We had a spot we used to do. Eddie goes, no, 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 sit here. And I said, Eddie, we got to do something. Because the crowd was so hot when we got in the ring. We had to go about 30 minutes. Finally, I sat there and I realized what Eddie was doing. You got to slow them down to bring them back up. If you, you guys you, did, Eddie did, because Eddie was such old school, man. You did exactly what these guys are doing here. The test of strength, they're down on the mat, you know, testing each other out. Now they're, you know, they're building, building that story, getting the crowd, you know, end, end of the match by just doing simple little things here. And establishing the villain right off the bat. Yeah. You establish Rogers as the villain right off the bat, just some simple stuff. You see how Rogers is, is just naturally taking that step Back like a heel should, you know, and uh, and 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 uh, Pat's Pat's stalking him all the time because, but he wants to fill him out and see what what type of uh, what type of offense he's bringing. Rogers was one of the most selling heels I've ever seen. He was so good at selling everything that his opponent did. It's why he got over. Exactly, and, and that's, that's the reason that any hill gets over. You know, you got to show that 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 deal. That's the reason, John. You you were a salesman and a half. You know, when that baby face was coming, I mean, you had no choice with Eddie Guerrero out there and <laughs> some of the guys you worked with. But that makes a hill. Here you go. Here you go, Jerry. Here's your move. Yeah. Oh, that's the sweetest damn move in the world, isn't it, John? Holy cow, that's awesome! I cannot believe somebody's not doing that today. Yeah, and look at the pressure on the arm as he's going around. You you can actually visualize that that arm and that socket twisting the way way Buddy is, is doing, or way Buddy uh, Pat is walking around the arm. And then right out of that, boom! Right back. Here we go. Do a little tackle, high arm. Right back. Here we go, man. Walk, walk that arm. What, what sweet, what beauty that is. I mean, look at that arm. That is so good. I mean, you, I mean, the, the, there's no, the, you can't tell that's a work right there. I mean, no. that, and it's just amazing to me that nobody does this today because yeah. that is, that is so, so smooth and so well done. A kid like uh, Chad Gable, I say kid, he's a grown man. Chad Gable doing something like this would just be amazing. Yeah. 
And you know, there's so much you can do off that. You do that hip toss, short arm signal and roll, you know, and roll. And then, then you know, if you're good, he'll grab the tights one time. You know, it, it, there's so much you can do out there. And these two guys are taking their time, listen to the crowd. Them crank that arm, just crank the arm. And, and, and Buddy's screaming. You know, Stan Hansen used to always have pictures in the Japanese magazines where he's making all kinds of faces. You know, it's something to sell these moves. You know, any move can get over if one guy's selling it. Right. Look at Bud Rossell here. And then O'Connor's still on that arm, working that arm, working that arm. Now, and now, now and you know, uh, O'Connor's move was. An arm drag. Was it? Yeah. There's your spot. There Tackle, drop down, get it again. Just basic, basic stuff there. And the crowd's coming with each, each little bump there. You know, it's uh, the, the body slams. They don't post on the leg, the old guys. No. You know, they, they, kept, the, they kept the left arm under, inside them by the ribs. Complete different what happens now. Look at those slams, the way, way uh, Roger arches up there. Right back to the arm, John. I tell you, it's just an amazing work of art that uh, Buddy Rogers is selling, selling, selling. He's making the baby face right here. Yeah. I, I tell you something, uh, that somebody be hollering over the over the microphone. Right? Tell, tell O'Connor, pull up a tights, or ref, pull up his tights. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The referee doing his job. I love those old school referees too. They're involved. Here we go, another high spot. Going for the figure four. That's the only time during this match he actually goes for. And watch Roger sell. This is what I'm talking about, Jerry. Look at Roger sell. That was the only punch to the head, and watch Roger sell it. You know, Rogers claimed he invented the pile driver. Uh, it turns out he probably did, but that was one of the claims that he had. You know, he invented the figure four and the atomic drop, but he always said that he invented the pile driver, but uh, people had used it before when the people look back through history. But imagine that a wrestler claiming he did something that he didn't do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we always say nothing's original and has been somebody, somebody's done it somewhere down the line. But the figure four and the Tommy drop figure four, uh, uh, Roger, uh, Rogers did uh, did start that, and I'm not sure about the atomic drop. A lot of people say uh, Wild Bill Longston and uh, uh, invented the atomic drop. And the NWA during this time, they loved the Shooter Boys. They loved uh, Hutton. They loved O'Connor. I mean, you look at the old NWA champions; they were all national champions. Uh, and then Rogers comes along and draws more money than everybody, and so that's when the big split happens here with. Tootsmont and Vince McMahon Sr. with we want guys who draw crowds, not necessarily the shooter guys. Yeah, well, the NWA, they were just so worried about the title being respected. You know, they wanted somebody out there that that didn't look like they belonged in the seat next to you. They wanted somebody in that ring that you could, man, that guy's a wrestler. Look at him. You know, look, look, how, look how he looks. And they, the, you know, the belt was worth a few bucks, even though, like I said, 580 bucks or whatever the thing was, you know, in those days it was five grand, you know, so they wanted that belt protected. And they, when, when you went to another territory, uh, which was a different promotion. There it is. There's the high knee. Yeah, the high knee. They wanted to make sure you came on with that belt. Rogers used that high knee a few times, just out of the blue. And yeah. he always did, he did it the same way when I've seen it is he takes an ass whooping, takes an ass whooping, takes an ass whooping, high knee wins. It's just the perfect way for a heel to win uh, over a baby face and put the baby face over because it looks like he got lucky. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on this sound off, we're going to try desperately in a couple of minutes to talk to three men who are world famous as tag team champions, the Kangaroos, and their very loquacious manager, Red Berry. 
I hesitate to start with Red because once he takes over, our two minutes are gone, but I'm going to because I want to get his opinion without the uh, superlatives and the adjectives, which this crowd does deserve. Red, what do you think of this fabulous 50,000-plus crowd here at Comiskey Park? I think it's the most exciting and rewarding crowd that I've ever seen in my wrestling career. And I tell you, this wrestling match that they're seeing out there tonight, along with the one they just witnessed with the fabulous kangaroos and myself, was exciting, nerve-wracking, muscle-torching, brain-numbing, and courage-testing. And I'd like to get an opinion from you and your two boys here, the kangaroos, as to how you think this one is going to turn out. We've seen uh, Buddy Rogers take a one-fall lead on uh, O'Connor. What do you think? Well, I'm going to give you my unbiased opinion. The man wins who knows he is fit before he starts. I know that Rogers is fit, and you usually stick with the champion, but I'm going to pick Rogers. You're going to pick Rogers. Let's get a little opinion from the kangaroos here. We've got Al Costello. What do you think? Well, I'm undivided a bit because they're both superb condition athletes. I it's see. very hard to pick. They sure are. We've been getting nothing but uh, toss-up opinions from the other wrestlers we've talked to. Being a New Zealander. Well, I guess you probably would have to. And Roy, Roy Heffernan, what do you think? Like Al says, Pat being from down under, our neighbor more or less, uh, I've got to go along with Pat. Well, you know, this is a surprising twist here because uh, Rogers uses the same technique that you do. I thought you'd stick up for him. Oh, Kangaroos, no. Redberry, thank you very much. Our time is up. That's a good interview. Yeah, uh, you guys have got to realize the fabulous kangaroos are really who started tag team wrestling in the in the, in the states here. They came up from Australia. Was Redberry uh, with them the whole time? No, I don't believe so. I, I think Redberry came when when they really started getting over, and you know, the, of course, you could tell during uh, their English was that you know that thick Australian uh, uh, New Zealand. Uh, 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 accent, and so they wanted Wild Red Barry, who was w really well known on American TV, to to help talk for him. It was Costello and Heffernan, right? Were the first uh, two. Al Costello and Roy Heffernan. I had the pleasure of working with both of those guys when I when I went to Australia as a kid in 1970, I believe it was. Were they over in Australia as well? Uh, the, John, it was at. At the end of the career, but uh, uh, Roy, they would bring Roy in a special referee, and every time they brought him in a special referee, we went a packed house. You know, of course, the angle was pretty hot too. But he, he would he, the, the applause he would get was just out of this world. And then, then when I left Australia, they they reunited a little bit back in the states, and they were past the age of getting over at that time there. So um, it, it it didn't didn't last long and. Of course, it spawned the, uh, the, the, the uh, Bushwhackers uh, uh, and all those guys. You know what I love about this is you had uh, O'Connor on top all the way up until the high knee. Then he loses the fall. And now you have Rogers on top now to put the baby face in total peril. I mean, this, this is an incredibly well put together match. It is. And the, uh, I would imagine most of this match is it's just called on the fly out in the ring here too. You can see, you can see them. I mean, you, you can, I can see the spots. Like there was a spot right there. They're buzzing each other, you know? Right. Just amazing. You know, that it's just the, the things change, but work doesn't. No, I don't. And then, you know, I, I get, I get, I get goosebumps watching this match and I've probably seen it, you know, a thousand times. And, and I, I enjoy seeing it. You know, that's the reason I tell these kids, you're so lucky to live in these days of this technology. I mean, I would have died to have this kind of a resource when I was breaking into the business, you know, to be able to watch these grades. Now, now, Look, look, look how he's applying that old. He's got the, he got the leg over there on, on Buddy's ankle so he can't roll through. And, um, and he's twisting that, twisting that leg. Now, uh, he, he's trying, trying to tell a story there. Yeah, and it's the old perfect story of wrestling. It's the easiest one to tell. Work the left leg versus work the left arm. You know, because you always can go back to, if, if you're working one body part on the other guy, and it's opposite of what he's working, you know, like lower body to upper body. It's an easy match. That's one of the easiest matches. And it's just a basic match. You know, I get to ask 
Scalandro, you know, why was this match in Chicago? And the, you know, it was Chicago wrestling. It was, it was the days of TV's uh, birth, and uh, you know, everything in Chicago at that. Hey, time, Jerry, real quick, how about that spot we just saw with the kip up and back to the leg? Kick and right back to it, man. Right back to it. And Pat O'Connor was quite the athlete. Well, that, that's the reason he was champion. Uh, you know, he was he was, he followed he followed a, a, an athlete, and uh, Pat Pat was considered the perfect technician for his time. And, and you know what's what's happening here, Jerry, is continuity. You know, you had this really cool spot with the kip up, the, the tackle off the ropes, and then right back to the leg. It's yeah. just continuity, right back to the leg. I didn't look like a real solid tackle there, though. They did have a little screw up. A nice to get up there and right back to the leg again, Don. Yep. You know, the, and uh, th those rings must have been hard because oh. you see the way Rogers is taking those bumps. Yeah. Those are not flat back bumps. No, and uh, you know, I, I, I broke in, and uh, a lot of people, you know, broke in in those old rings. Those were all those war rings were those rings were solid steel. <laughs> I mean, they had no give to them at all. I mean, you can tell by the way the ring ropes are so taut there after, you know, a 30-minute match there, probably, you know, most of the night's crowd there. And then to take a look at that, at the uh, turnbuckle, there's no turnbuckle pad there. They're just, they just come together. You know, I think I said, Tooch Mott was one of the ones that first brought in uh, entertainment into wrestling. You know, he, he got with Ed Stranger Lewis around 1920s when, wrestling was kind of hurt. Now you had world war one and you had the Spanish flu, which obviously hurt business everywhere. But then Toots Mott was the one that really wanted to make wrestling more flamboyant. And that's one of the big problems you had here with buddy Rogers. He was the one that could draw money, but he wasn't the traditional st style of wrestling. But when you put 38,622 people in an arena, you tend not to bitch about <laughs> what style it is. He was doing something right. It's amazing. I mean, this that, was that, those cell jobs. I mean, just just look at the cell. I mean, you know, just a punch there, and he sits down on that corner. Hey guys, do you see a lot of Ric Flair and then that Buddy Rogers too? I mean, I, you know, the Nature Boy. Where do you think that come from? You're watching the original Nature Boy right here. I'm sure we'll get in trouble for making that reference, <laughs> but who cares? There, there, nice old roll kind of roll up there. Yeah, the O'Connor roll. There, there it is. The famous O'Connor roll. We, we just got we got Brian Blair, who was a guest of ours, in trouble. We sent him to Kansas City. We told him when O'Connor asked you what what you do for a finish, tell him you do the Briscoe roll up. <laughs> and he actually told him that. And Brian had to do about ten jobs before he got on past good side. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, we got a promo here. Let it lay out. The mighty Atlas. Atlas, what do you think of this crowd? Well, this is making history tonight in wrestling. The uh, people over here are all part of the history, and it took an awful lot of work in six months, I believe, of uh, foundation work to get this match set up so that the two men would meet. Because uh, the champion has a lot to lose, and so does uh, Rogers. Uh, who is the United States heavyweight champion. Right you are. It's a very exciting match. And uh, how do you think uh, it's, it's one up uh, as we're watching this right now? Uh, do you have an opinion as to how it's going to end up? I, it's very difficult at this point to say. I know both men. I have wrestled both men. And uh, I would say that they're in tip-top condition, and it's a toss-up as to who might win this match. Uh, you, in as much as... Uh, uh, the, the crowd seems to be for uh, the champion, uh, who uh, I think may be the underdog at this time. It looks that way right at this moment. You say you have wrestled both these men? Yes, and uh, they have a distinctly different style, Rogers being very cagey, and of course the champion has one advantage, you have to run to the top of the hill and knock him off. You're you sure? see he's wrestling a defensive match, yes. which is a smart thing to do for a champion. Because if he leaves himself wide open, that fly will be the one mistake. And you know, championship caliber matches don't allow for even one mistake. No, they don't. Uh, how did you do in just a few seconds we have left? How did you do against uh, O'Connor and against Rogers, Atlas? Well, I've had, uh, I might say, I've had a win over Rogers some years back, and I haven't had the opportunity to meet him at this time. And O'Connor was just coming up at the time that I wrestled him. I see. Our time is up. Thank you very much, Atlas.
That's one of the worst wrestling promos I've ever heard. I guess that was horrible. No, not maximizing your time there. It's like he had no idea he's going to be interviewed. Yeah. And he had done some Hollywood, right? That was Mighty Atlas, who was that in the uh, Abbott and Costello movie, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, you got that exactly right. Yeah, I had a great body, and, and he made it made could have talked, but that was <laughs> that was awful. Okay, we're right back in here. Look, uh, look at him, kind tiptoeing those. Uh, There's the Roger Strut. There you go. You Holy recognize God. that Strut, folks? <laughs> That was such heat, you know, because back then guys wanted to be the tough guy. You know, they, they wanted, they didn't want to be the bad guy. You know, they wanted to be the tough guy and they wanted to all have, you know, fair competition. Rogers didn't mind being a heel. Well, once again, that's what makes a heel, as you know, John, you got to, you got to embrace that fact that you're going to get booed and you're going to be the, the a-hole of, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the crew in there. And, uh, and Rogers embraced it. You know, they came back with a return here, right? About three months later, and, and they did another 30,000 people. Yeah, they came back in the, in the arena and did another did a dread drop from like 38,000 down to, well, 30,000. And this is back, man, folks, this is back, you know, in the days where money was tough, too. I think this house was, what, like $380,000 or $360,000? It may have been in, in later money. It was 148 in actual dollars. Okay, at the yeah, I thought it was at 148, yeah. Yeah, it was 148 at the time, which is, I think, the biggest gate since Fez worked with uh, uh, Baron, I believe it was. Uh, anyway, it was 148, in, which is over a million dollars in today's time. You know what's also different about those days was uh, ringside. You know, you didn't yeah. you didn't have you had because of the commission. And ringside seats, you had people right on the apron. There's no barriers there either. No, no. The Kangaroos had a match in Madison Square Garden after this. And I think it was Vince McMahon Sr. went out and turned on the stadium lights and played the national anthem to try to stop the riot <laughs> to get them out of the ring. That's what they did a lot up in the Northeast. They would turn on the stadium lights and play the national anthem to try to stop the riot. There's those slams. Right after the war, everybody was real patriotic, so that would stop them. There's little simple things there that they're doing, you know. This, this match Jerry, this a, third fall to me is genius. I mean, the whole thing is genius. Yeah. Rogers just sells the entire time. It's it's just so good. It's the baby face is winning. The baby face is going to walk away with the title. You just know it, the way Rodgers is selling. But it's unique the way they used to take slams. Yeah. Yeah, because they, did, they didn't help each other, it seemed like. No. Look at Rodgers begging. That bag in the corner. And that, and that Bill timeless. Throw roll. Yeah, that's just timeless. There it is, see? No there, problem. There we go. You watch, you watch how he goes up, folks. He, I mean, there was no... There's no strut on the knee there at all. And he slammed it near the ropes where he can't, where he had Rogers. You know, it, out. John, thanks for bringing up that. That just completely slipped my mind. I was watching it earlier and I want to make a point for watch where, watch where these guys place each other on these finishes. They always place each other on a slam or on a bump right where you can, you can just easily drape your, drape your foot or your arm over to the ropes and stop the counter, stop the action there. It's genius, like you say in there. Yeah, there's a little forethought in it you, because you see O'Connor walk with him a couple steps and then slam him where he wants him. Yeah. That's <laughs> just amazing stuff right there. Uh, <laughs> it's like Rogers is getting assaulted. And look at himself, man. He's just he's selling like a champ. Oh my God, that's a perfect heel. He yeah. knows he's going over. Yeah. And he's absolutely making the champion right now. It's a simple nuance there, just, uh, and boom. And I know times have changed, but you don't have to do that a hundred times. You throw a guy into the turnbuckle, you throw a guy into something and he sells it. It makes all the difference in the world. It does. 
does, and then you you you. I mean, that's something you know you can use today. I mean, just you know, just you know, just give it to them, and boom, let them and back off and let them sell, and then attack if you feel like you got attacked. But the I thing, remember, is, I remember one time somebody asked, somebody asked Jake Roberts said somebody else is using your DDT. He said if somebody else used it, what's the difference between you and them? And he says, I beat you with it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that answer. I saw it was that. great. Yeah. His uh, works. Everybody uh, else has done it. Yeah. And that's right. You know, that's, that's just the psychology that Jake possessed, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's old school philosophy that these two guys are putting on right there. That's Jake Roberts style. You know, you don't have to do things, but hey, I, just like false finishes, you don't have to do 15 false finishes. You know, if you're doing false finish guys are kicking out, man, you're not doing them right. Right near the ropes. I see where he placed him again, you know, with a punch and Rogers just go down. He knows that he'd be ring awareness. And when you listen to this crowd, they're just, they're just into every single move. They just know that Rogers is about to get beat. Yeah. <laughs> Drop kick was on point. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this here. Now that we both believe, folks, that this was a, a miscue by, uh, by Pat because Pat used to split himself in there and 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 sell, but he's he's still still in that sell mode there where he missed the miss tackle, hit the rope, so he, he he's he's selling there. Yeah, he's selling he, it he, like it's a low blow, and like Jerry said, that's what he Pat used to do was straddle himself on the ropes. We think he missed the ropes. Because those damn ropes are probably so stiff. <laughs> Simple. One, two, three. There's your new champion. Yeah, and then the promo afterwards, it's one line, and it's just fantastic. I wish you a lot of luck as a new world heavyweight champion as recognized by the National Wrestling Alliance. We're in good health. Thank you very much, Fred. Can I say something more? Fred, I want to thank you for making this match possible. But there's one thing I want everybody to know, and that is, to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. Both men gave everything they had to pro wrestling and were respected even after the spotlight was no longer on them. No, that's okay. I just want to a nicer guy. It couldn't happen. I mean, I nobody, nobody back then did anything like that. No, but you see, uh, they cut that uh, that that uh, strap down a little bit because they felt it was too big around Roger's waist, and uh, and the plates didn't, didn't didn't actually fit right. And you know, Jerry, what's amazing about this? We talk about this being a big seminal moment in wrestling history, because. You had Tootsmont and Vince McMahon Sr. being raised up to take over the Northeast. Los Angeles had already dropped out of the NWA. And then in the next couple of years before San Martino and Rogers goes 48 seconds in the garden uh, back in 1963, you had several different championships that happened that some recognized and some didn't. I mean, it was there was shenanigan after shenanigan going on with these promoters. There was, and then you know the NWA, uh, they, they 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 were showing some separation too, and you know that that's finally when uh, Sam got them all together, and uh, they decided to go talk to Lou, whatever it take to talk to Lou, and 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 to coming back, Lou being Lou Thez, and to coming back, and 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 because uh, Vince and his group out there, they wanted to keep keep the belt kind of regional, so. That's, that's, you know, a lot of people I've read where, well, the NWA was a regional belt. Well, it was because that's how Vance Sr. made it because that's the reason they wanted Rogers. They wanted to control the belts. And when you control the belt, you control the booking and you control the crowds in the other, other, other territories because they're not getting a championship. So other champions started sprouting up like crazy. And the NWA recognized that, hey, man, you know, we're losing, you know, and uh, we're losing the battle. 
So they, they, they knew Lou, Lou could protect the belt. And once again, it goes to, to protect the belt. So they went to Lou and asked Lou and he was a proven commodity that he could draw on to come back in. And he, he, he agreed to come back in and, um, uh, we'll probably get into that uh, that match where Lou challenges Buddy for the title and wins it, and 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 that's that's when the big separation comes. That's when they said, "You said, all right, I'm out of the NWA. I'm going WWF champion." And you know, he started making his own champions, and Burns started making his own champions. Yeah, and 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 Vince didn't recognize Thez as the champion, right? Because he said right. the match was either wasn't sanctioned, it wasn't two out of three falls. That was Toronto match between Thez and Rogers. And you, you, you told me before, Thez basically said, we can do this the easiest way or we can do it the hard way. Rogers was not expecting to drop the title that night. No, he wasn't, wasn't at all. A lot of people don't even think of, they, 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 you know, they mentioned to him that, he, that there was a possibility. And then, and then when he got there, they were afraid because Rogers had, had also had a reputation. He no-showed a lot of events too, you know, on orders from, from the bosses, you know. And they, he, they did outside of Chicago and maybe the Ohio Valley, you never saw that, uh, that, that title defended during that reign there. And that's, that's the reason NWA wanted it back. And I knew Lou would travel, travel the world and travel, travel the country to, to showcase it again. So, And what yeah, you mean, Jerry, was out of side of Chicago and Ohio, outside of the territories, out of the Northeast, which was WWWF. Those are the only places Rogers would go outside of uh, Vince McMahon Sr.'s territory. Correct, and 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 those promoters, they all had to, had a piece of that action there, and 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 the other other promoters, the original NWA promoters, felt like something was going on, which it was. It was controlling the championship and controlling the money. You control that title, you control the money. And Rogers won that uh, great uh, tournament in Rio de Janeiro for the WWF <laughs> title, right? Right. <laughs> How did all the <laughs> so, so did Pat? <laughs> so did Pat, and I, I told you, John, to my. And my, my, my deal when I was down for the 216 Olympics uh, down in Rio, I, I, I took an excursion and I, one day I took off. There was a dark day in the rest and I, I just took it off and I said, I'm going to find where, where Pat won that deal. And I found a historical marker. It was all covered up by grass and weeds and, and syringes and all that stuff. And just a, just a, just like a corner cornerstone of a building location where pat patterson defeated <laughs> and there was some spanish name like uh yeah yeah that he defeated but you know, san martino san martino asked him about it and he said i figured he won actually did the tournament in rio because there wasn't the internet there wasn't news and san martino said i didn't find out till later that <laughs> there wasn't a tournament in rio there wasn't <laughs> i don't think there was <laughs> <laughs> damn pat he lied to me again that damn Pat Patterson lied like crazy to you. Hey, John, guess who told me to tell you hello? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy time, though. I mean, this was everything, everything that happens now in wrestling, this was the time where it started splitting really big. You know, where you had Tootsmont and Vince McMahon Sr., you had the NWA on one side, and this is where they're, they're going one direction, NWA went the other, and then, uh, you know, of course, history – territories happen Vince McMahon Jr. comes along and ends up taking over everything once cable television started happening yeah you know that's, that's so funny everybody thinks you know the Monday Night Wars man that we just got to see the first war in professional wrestling hell you know there were wars even before this one here you know back in the old days between uh between uh uh EU now and and the United States you know there wasn't a lot of exchange of talent going on at the time and We'll get into that most historical match in Gagach and Hackensmith a little bit later, which is what a story and what a historical significance that was. Yeah, and you to even talk about screw jobs. You talked about Gorgeous George earlier. We've got one on our on our website, uh, our YouTube channel, with Don Eagle and Gorgeous George, where Don Eagle thought he was growing over, and they literally had the same type one, two, three count that they had at the Montreal screw job. And they put George over, which Don Eagle went ballistic afterwards. So the screw, there's nothing, there's nothing new about this. It's 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 all happened before, and sometimes a little more entertaining in the past. Yeah, it is, and 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 you you're right, uh, Don Eagle. I mean, imagine that. I mean, you you don't even know. I mean, you know, well, neither is Brett, but you you. 
you know, you don't, you don't have a clue on you know, what's going to happen to you. And you go in and something like that happens. I can, I can see where the anger come, come from inside. You know? Yeah. And you had some legit uh, screw jobs, you know, uh, Wayne Munn back in 25 with a gold dust trio, which was um, uh, Billy Sandow, Ed Stranger Lewis and Toots Mont uh, were all in that uh, trio. And they brought in Stanislaus Zabisco, who was in his 40s okay. at the time, to take the title off of Wayne, which Wayne didn't know it was happening. <laughs> so, you know, y'all, that's why the NWA liked to have these big shooters like Dick Hutton, because that would never happen with a guy like Dick Hutton. No, and they and they stuck with that. I mean, you know, for for a long, long time. And um, and uh, I think when they went to Rick, that's when they decided, you know, that that style is is what's selling today and then they made the right choice by, by going with rick and rick rick carried that belt and it was fantastic and drew crowds all over the all over the world with it i mean you know there, there's there's nothing wrong with different styles as long as you're putting money in those seats right and uh, that's right and flair could do that but you know i i've heard harley talk about it harley went to japan with rick during that early time just to make sure there weren't any shenanigans right right I mean, Har Harley went over with him, you know, just in case somebody, you know, some old shooter tried to get in there with Rick and, and take a title off of him. You realize you had to walk back and fight Harley Race if that happened. Yeah, that that, that happened with with Jack after Jack made the deal with uh, with Bobby. You know, I went over with Jack one time, and then uh, the next time they sent Pat over with with Jack to, to to shadow him also. So, you know, that that was a, a common deal and. Uh, because you, you never knew when some rogue was going to try to jump in and, you know, steal the belt from you. What an incredible time. So we got our first uh, watch along done, Jerry. And did you lose a bet with that shirt? Uh, yes, I did. And uh, I don't know if you can see the back of it, but did you see the back of it? At the, yeah, at the Pritchard's. Yeah. I tapped out at the Pritchard. It got me drunk on that cheap Texas tequila, man, and that cheap Texas vodka. And maybe, and, maybe, and I think that's one of the wins that he claimed, but I don't remember it. <laughs> if you don't remember it, it doesn't count. Well, he fed me. He got me big and fat and fed, you know, how you are when you eat, eat, eat a big meal. And man, that Bruce Pritchard knows how to cook. And he has a guest. So if you're ever invited to his, his, his house, he had some. And when he's going to cook, he don't cook one Thanksgiving turkey. He cooks 15 Thanksgiving turkeys and he eats every damn one of them himself. You know, he got mad at Vince because Vince wanted to put ketchup on his steak. I know it, man. I did in that time. We go into the Morton Steakhouse, man, order the best steak and world money can buy. And Vince asked the waiter, you have any ketchup? <laughs> <laughs> and the waiter looked at him like you know bruce and i and even patterson you know as uncouth as old pat was you, know, <laughs> Vince, you can't put stick on the on, on sink <laughs> well don't forget to check out all the matches uh, we have a playlist the greatest and most iconic matches of all time we call it the greatest and most iconic because some of these matches they're not going to be the greatest but they're the most iconic matches. They're matches that are seminal points in wrestling history. You can check it all out on our YouTube. I'm Brad Shaw. That is the legendary Mr. Gerald Briscoe. Thanks for watching. Thanks, folks.